0: Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the fab foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open. Spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com helpingfriendly Helping Friendly to learn more.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to The Drop. My name is Brian Brinkman.
2: I am David Goldstein.
1: And we are very happy to bring you a very special episode of The Drop here today. You may remember us from our days hosting the Beyond the Bond podcast. Now we are working hard on the Undermine podcast. And we were really excited a couple of weeks ago when we got a fantastic email that gave us a link to a new project from Jambase, our media partner here at Osiris Media, who had worked on a collaboration with a number of artists that we featured on Beyond the Pond, covering excellent songs from Fish's Farmhouse and the larger farmhouse universe in terms of songs that they wrote and released around that time in the late 90s and the early 2000s. We got the opportunity to sit down with Jambase CEO Dave Honingman about a week and a half ago, had a really great conversation with him Got some insights into the background into the Clusterflies compilation, the process of bringing together some of the best artists from the larger indie jam and larger indie rock world, and what the whole methodology was to bring this compilation together and bring it to you. We've been listening to this for the better part of the last month. It is fantastic. We cannot recommend pre-ordering and buying this enough. I'm really excited for it to be out in the world. What do you think, Dave?
2: Yeah, Cluster Flies is very much what you would call like indie jam wish fulfillment. I mean, if you could have come to me and say, hey, there's going to be an album out where like Riley Walker covers First Tube and Chris Forsyth covers Piper and gives it like the 18-minute shoegaze slow jam build version of Piper, I'd have said, you got to be fucking kidding me. That sounds awesome. And yet... That's exactly what Clusterflies does. I mean, having come of age in the 80s and 90s, I'm no stranger to all the hundreds of like prog rock tribute records which end up in like the dollar bins at the UCD store. <laughs> Clusterflies is not that. There was a lot of work went into this, a lot of love went into it, and some of the interpretations of the song simply just blew me away. And it was really great to sit down with Dave Onigman. Super nice guy, loves music, very much on the level. It was a extremely fun conversation to have, to learn about, uh, you know, just the whole genesis of Clusterflies in the background and kind of get the inside dope on some of the artists.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to throw to you all the interview that we did with Dave uh, about a week or so ago, like, our David said gave us some great insights into the overall compilation and the overall kind of mindset behind why approach some of these artists to put together a Fish tribute album at this point in time. I think there's a lot of really good reasons for it. Uh, and then after that, you're going to hear from the hosts of Undermine. We've all picked a specific track that we really enjoyed, great take from an artist on these Fish songs, and um, we are going to play those for you. Uh, you'll hear from each of the hosts get a sense of kind of what really impacted us and um, hopefully this puts you all in position to go ahead and order this on vinyl. It is a fantastic release as we said and we're really excited for you all to hear it. We'd also encourage listeners to check out the Jambase podcast, part of Osiris Media. Uh, every day since April 13th, they've been putting out an episode interviewing each artist who played on the Clusterflies compilation, talking about covering the song that they did, the approach that they took, and their own interest in fish. It's great, wide ranging conversation to give you even more insight into the Clusterflies compilation. So would encourage everyone to check that out.
2: Yeah, I would say that if you're listening to a podcast on the Osiris Podcast Network, chances are you're going to want to mash the buy button on this as soon as humanly possible. And on that, let's get to the interview. <laughs> that doesn't need to be off the record. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it on the record, too. We'll, we'll just...
1: <laughs> we have lots of questions because this is like a, for the two of us and for what we've been doing, um, the podcast we used to host, Beyond the Pond, this is like a dream collaboration of <laughs> artists. And both of us have really, like in the last couple of years, gotten into Farmhouse as an album and as a concept. We're both huge pavement fans. And so the crossover there and just like where Fish was in 99 and 2000 is really interesting period in time. And so to pick that era uh, as like what to focus on has just been, it's been a joy to listen to. And it's been really, just really cool to hear all these great artists uh, take Fish songs in a very different direction and also hear where those like decided to stay close to home.
2: Seriously, tell us about what like, the background of the compilation, like where did the idea come from and really what sparked it? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So what sparked it was 100% COVID-19 and sort of Jam bases daily operations grinding to a bit of a halt historically for 21 plus years and well before I ever worked at the company we've been all about all things live music and and the way that we make money and can keep people on payroll and pay their health insurance and stuff is around all things live music you know whether it's working with a promoter to help sell more tickets to a show that need, needs a hand or a festival or if it's like we're making some money on ticket affiliate sales you know that, that get driven from from Jambase.com or our apps or something all of that stuff kind of went away uh, overnight as, as everyone in the music industry in the world <laughs> is well aware like last march and we're we were very fortunate in that we have some ways that we make money at Jam base that aren't solely dependent on, you know, people congregating and and being at shows but there was no getting around we were going to be settling in for a rough year yeah. um, and then thankfully there were programs like the Paycheck Protection Program that helped millions of small businesses Jam based included but we were just sort of looking for an idea we did a lot of sort of pivoting early on in the pandemic we sort of made sure we were a really good site to list live streams instead of concerts and we sort of sped up the development of a video section of the site that we'd been thinking about doing but we needed something that was you know hopefully gonna hit the bank um you know just to supplement a little bit of our sort of lost revenue and i tasked the team to come up with an idea because we didn't want to we didn't want to just ask for money Mm. like we didn't want to like Put up a GoFundMe and say, "Save Jam Base, We need your help." Because we were doing all right, like especially compared to a music venue mm. that like mm. has no opportunity for revenue when the pandemic was happening. So it was actually um, Stereo Gum had a somewhat similar campaign. They actually did call theirs "Save Stereo Gum," but theirs was like. Partially the pandemic, but I think also they were trying to buy their company back from someone who had bought it or something. So they did this huge compilation online, was covers from the 2000s. Mm-hmm and they raised a bunch of money. So when I sort of tasked the rest of my team, I was like, we should come up with some big idea for JamBase that we can sell something because we don't normally sell things to people rather than just ask for money. And I don't know, the stereo gum thing seemed pretty cool. Like anyone have any ideas? And I told everyone to get back to me in a, in a few days. And I was actually in the middle of the pandemic, I was also moving my family from the San Francisco Bay Area back to my hometown here in Massachusetts. And when I opened my laptop, once i got to wi-fi altitude on my flight moving back home after 10 years i opened up my laptop and i opened up slack and scott bernstein scotty b had posted in the channel how about Clusterflies, a tribute to Farmhouse to celebrate its 20th anniversary. So it all started because of COVID and we wanted to make ourselves a little bit of money to to help us out. It all started the concept back in July when we still probably thought this wasn't going to take nine months to make and we thought maybe we'd still be releasing it in 2020 (laughs) Uh, when it it still would have been the 20th anniversary of Farmhouse. Uh, So yeah, it was squarely inspired by the pandemic. Farmhouse was picked because because it was the 20th anniversary, but I'm also I'm really happy that that was the record mm. that was picked. Because then when when we went off to the races to start booking the bands, Farmhouse is such a a, a collection of some really mature songwriting. Like there's not a whole lot of goofiness right. on the record, and like the songs are really good. And and I'm one of the I'm one of these Fish fans that you know doesn't just go for the jams. I I legitimately love the catalog and. I thought it was really good, especially with the type of artists we wanted to reach out to, that it was a record like Farmhouse rather than like a record like Rift. Mm. I love Rift and I love Farmhouse, but sort of the, the collection of songs are, are very mature and sort of they're not as wacky. There's not a whole lot of silliness to it. You know, it's turned into a really nice tribute to, to the songs themselves in addition to in addition to some jams.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of songs in Farmhouse you can actually make sound good with just like three chords. Right. Yeah.
1: Feels like their first like middle aged album. You know, you're coming off the story of the ghost, and you know you have all this experimentation, and a lot of that leftover leads to just really enlightened, really thoughtful songwriting that. To your point, a lot of those songs could be played straight, just you know, in the first set. They can have some expansion as you move into set two, but yeah, there's there's a lot of variety in there. I like that. So tell us, you know, kind of as you're at this point, mid 2020, you've got the goal, you've got the idea here in mind of of what to do. Obviously, time gets away from everyone in terms of these t- sorts of projects. <laughs> they they always end up taking longer than we than we think they will. How did you decide on the group of artists that um, you wanted to go? After, or did you like kind of one lead to another? How did that all happen?
3: We started making a list right away, and one thing that all of these artists have in common is that they're all. People that we legitimately love to listen to at, at Jambase. We started making lists of artists that that we wanted to reach out to. We wanted to make sure that we reached out to a lot of women. I really didn't want this record to be a whole bunch of dudes mm. covering fish. We, we, we were mindful of that on our, our first drawing up of, of artists to reach out to. Certain ones we like sort of had the song right away. Like William Tyler in Law, Josie Wales is like one of one of the first things totally. that was said in the slack channel because we all love william yeah. so much he had sat with for the podcast before and he'd become really good friends with andy khan from from my team one of the last big things that the- jam based team all got together and went to was the yola tango camping weekend mm-hmm. down in big sur uh, Ooh, a couple of years ago nice. and william william played at that and, and we all hung out and it was great so certain ones like that you know were just like oh well we, we should get william to do in-law and we should get strand of oaks to do bug but then you, you said like did, did some lead to another yeah absolutely like so like one of them like We had identified that we wanted to reach out to Riley because we all love Riley Walker. But then, sort of in in talking with with his agent, like I also represent Chris Forsyth. It was like, oh, Chris was also on our <laughs> list, so let's talk and, and figure this all out at once here. Um, then an agent, you know, we would you know we would reach out to a publicist for a certain artist that would pass on it, and then that publicist would be like, well, you know, who'd be great at this would be so and so. So we got some recommendations when we would like reach out to one artist who would pass, and they'd send us in the direction of somebody else. But yeah, it was kind of just. Vision boarding, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, who would we really want on this thing, and it would just sort of go from there. And and some of them were just kind of uh, happy accidents too. It sure. was like uh, having Jen on the record. I was actually she she's an old friend and her name came up early on someone was like oh we, sh- we should ask jen and i've known jen for a really long time and we and we talked about stuff like this a lot and i was like i don't know if this is really her thing like i'm not sure if she's gonna love me me calling her to, to ask her to do this but i don't know we'll see and, and we talked about this actually the dirt podcast that we did with her we'll publish before this does but like i was actually calling her to tell her how excited i was that i talked to sadler vaden mm-hmm. from jason isbell's band because me and jen both love Jason Isbell in the 400 unit. So I was actually just calling her. I was like, oh, I like my new best friend Sadler, and he's doing this <laughs> thing with me. And And she was like, well, well, tell me about it. Like, what is this? Are there any other tracks available? And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, there are. And then like an hour later, we had selected Dirt and uh, and we had had her signed up. So yeah, a lot of it happened organically like that. And and some of it was just like, you know, who we'd love on the record is Amy Helm. Let me write Amy Helm's manager a note. And they write back and they say, yeah, it sounds great. Amy's going to listen to the record and tell you what song she wants. On that
2: note, I mean, a lot of the performances like obviously William Tyler doing the in-law Josie Wales, like Forsyth doing Piper. I mean, it seems like these fish songs were tailor made for these artists. Did you like present them with the actual song selections
3: or did you just let them decide? it It depended. um so yeah, like for William, we pitched him specifically on that. it It really kind of depended how early on people replied or if they were sort of on our first or second or third round. Yeah, like, it. when the record was wide open, you know, like, like 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 I mentioned Amy, like Amy was actually the first artist that confirmed a track. Um, so when I was emailing with her management, I was like, no one's picked a song yet. Like, you're one of the first people we've reached out to. Let us know what you want. And, but then sort of, you know, when we were much closer to the end, it was like, you know, Hey Neil Francis, do you want to do uh, dog stole things? Mm-hmm. Um, so it depended. Yeah. So some some people we gave full choice. Some we kind of pushed them <laughs> in a direction. O- oftentimes, managers like sort of already knew the knew the record sure. and sort of knew it knew it as well and said like, <laughs> "Oh, I think this would be a good one." Yeah, it was funny. I, I, I just did my interview with Chris too, and Chris Forsyth, and the record was relatively open then, so he he listened to it. And he immediately tried to go for the first two instrumentals, and they were both taken by friends of his. He was like, oh, like, you know, what about this, this, uh... In-Law song, and they're like, oh, William Tyler has that. I was like, oh, okay, well, what about the other one? First two, it's like, Riley Walker has that. And he's like, what? Riley Riley Walker has such a nice voice. Why is he doing the instrumental? <laughs> but I'm really glad it worked out with Chris on Piper. He did uh, an incredible job with it, so I'm glad First Tube and In-Law were taken because I, I I like the universe where he ended up doing Piper.
1: Yeah, really like the kind of congealed sound that just like stretches and of expands that almost like shoegazy walla sound just fits what he does so perfectly and having that take up an entire side i remember when we first heard it i was just like <laughs> i think like william i think chris doing piper i think even in some cases the way that riley deconstructed first tube it feels on the nose but also like you want it to be that way like i've always wanted to hear william play in law Josie wales it feels like the perfect song for him to reinterpret for a fish but chris playing piper is just one of the most epic things and as uh, as someone who came up seeing fish in the early 2000s when piper was regularly going 20 25 minutes hearing chris take it in his own direction is just a really exciting thing I'm curious like as you were getting recordings back was there anything that just outright shocked you and you were like that is not how I expected this person to play this or <laughs> I mean I have one performance in, in particular but like I'm I'm curious by you
3: I I will say the the ritual of getting the track for the first time and and listening to it is one <clears throat> I'll never forget totally. it was it was it was so special you know like I listened to it before anybody else did. I was sort of the main point of contact, so when I would get the email that I'd have the track, I'd have to like make sure I was somewhere near my good stereo. And I could sit down and listen to it, and then I'd listen to it, and then I would send it off to the rest of the team that's that was working on the record um, to, to listen to it. Riley's delivery of First Tube was certainly shocking, but I knew that I had, I, I, I had told him and Chris that they were welcome to get as weird as they wanted to. So I knew what i was getting myself into i love what he did with the tune yes like hard stop i i i love what he did because like i don't know like a straight reading of first tube like the studio cut of it is so good and like so quintessential fish like i feel like if we'd given that to some dual guitar jam bands just do a fishy like thing sure. to it it like It would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been as good as, like, the Studio Fish first tube, so I love what he did with it. His was certainly eyebrow-raising, like, getting it and listening to it for the first time. Amy's version of Sleep was, too. I jokingly said to her, we, we love you here at Jam Bass, but I, like, did not peg you as someone who would have taken the studio cut and doubled its length. Um, but she turned the two-minute sleep into the four-minute sleep. Right. Um, and just the, the way that she she belted that one out. Again, kind of deconstructed the song, too, because Sleep is really just, like, a single guitar riff and a melody. Right. And they stripped away the guitar riff. The guitar riff isn't in her version of it. So I, I loved hers. And yeah, I mean, get, getting Chris's, I just remember I, I was sitting in this seat exactly where you guys are talking to me. And once the progression actually kicked in after like the first nine minutes, I just remember like by myself here, just having a little party, just like <laughs> yeah. fist, pump it, fist pumping in the air when the chord progression kicked in. So yeah, getting the tunes delivered for the first time like I said was was really special. This entire process has just been has, been has been so so special, but hearing them for the first time, I'll I'll never forget it. Like listening to every track on It's Way In was was so much fun.
2: I'll say um I was pretty familiar with all the names. The only one I did not know off the bat was Lindsay Lou. And then after listening to her Mountains in the Mist, I went directly to Bandcamp and bought her most recent album because I was floored. Nice. Has a fan in me. Also, I mean, Mountains nice. is kind of. That's a deep cut. I mean, I guess that was the Japanese bonus track. Yeah. I mean, it kind of. Yep. My next question was, was It originally just going to be the 12 songs in Farmhouse. Mm. And then when you saw there was like enthusiasm, you expanded it to be like. Right.
3: But like, I guess. Yeah. Like the other studio stuff. Yeah. I don't remember how Lindsay ended up on the record, too. I, I I've. I was definitely a fan of hers, and I and I had listened to her stuff. But I I became more a fan of hers when this all started. The reason she got reached out to, I remember, was because my friend Connor. We were like we were just starting to fill up slots and starting to book artists, and he sent me Rev, one of the guitar players in Little Smokies. Put out an EP which was really good. I I forget the name of it now, but he he put it out mid last year. And my, my friend had just like taken some like virtual guitar lessons from him and stuff. And he's like, "You should listen to Rev's EP. It's really good." And I did, and I was like, "Oh yeah, man! This is this is great." Who is that singing? on some of these tracks and it was and it was Lindsay so like the next day I like looked up to figure out who Lindsay's manager was and and, and sent them a note and I was like we're, we're doing this thing so that's like another sort of organic story about how someone ended up on the record it's just because I was listening to an EP that she was on and was blown away by her voice and, and I remembered I'd listened to her before and I was like oh well I want her on this now but anyway so right from the get go I think once it was pitched to me one of my first editions to it was like, oh, cool, and we should do Driver and Mist, because yeah. like those two tunes are great, and that'll be 14 tunes. And then from there, it was like, okay, let's do the 14, but then let's do one more, to I try to make it our own. So the original idea was 14 tunes, and then let's add a 15th from that era that didn't end up on ghost or farmhouse and that was very easily decided to be vultures mm. we were like all right yes yeah, so like let's let's do vultures final track okay like w- w- we're we're done <laughs> um, and <laughs> and, and then we had we had an artist lined up to play of jabu that had to drop out because they they just had problems with the timing so the only artist that we booked that that had to drop out which is a pretty good batting average considering this was all recorded during a pandemic (laughs) so somebody dropped out for Gotta Jabu and we we reached out to like a few artists at once to try to to fill the track and we got back like too many replies Uh, (laughs) um like we got too much interest we're like all right well we'll if everyone wants in, then we'll just add another track. So, like, I think we were pitching Neil Francis and White Denim to do Jabu. Mm. And like, they were both interested. James ended up ended up doing Jabu with, with with other folks. But we really we wanted Neil to also be on the record. So we said, we told him, what do you think about this song, Dog Stole Things? And he was really into it. So then we were at 16. <laughs> and then... I, and we ended up with 17. Um, and then it was just because the distinct lack of Reed Mathis on the record was <laughs> bothering me. <laughs> um, I love Reed, and he's done so much stuff with Jam Bass over the years. He like recorded a bunch of songs with us when we did the songs of their own Grateful Dead stuff back in 2015. He was one of the first people that like sat with us when we launched the podcast. We had Jacob Fred play our 20th anniversary party with a bunch of other bands and and he had also been really active early on in the pandemic he was like covering Trey's songs that he was releasing like later that night Reed would, like, live stream them and play them, and he did, like, a full game hinge, and, and, he, and he'd just become a, a friend of mine, too, and a couple days were going by, and I was like, kind of bummed Reed's not on this thing, so I just called him, and I was like, hey, man, like, sorry I didn't call you earlier on this, but, like, here's this thing. I've already given away all the songs, but I want to give you three more choices, so I sent him uh, Waking Up which is this yeah. like little snack of a song? Fish did twice. Samantan which Fish actually never played live, but mm. traded a couple of times, and Fish recorded it uh, on that Bearsville disc. And, and Bye Bye Foot. Those were the three we came up with as our final seventeenth tune because we really didn't think many of the other songs from the era that didn't end up on the record would be like good like tonal fits like. Meat Stick or I Saw It Again sure. or, or stuff like that. It's just sort of like yeah, we we we've been talking about like what a you know mature collection of songs it is. I'm not sure if we should have Reed Mathis do Meat Stick. Um and, and throw it on this thing. So I gave him those three, and he took a couple of days, and then he wrote back and said, "Bye bye foot is adorable. I'm taking it and and doing my thing with it." Yeah. So we knew we were gonna do 14, and then we knew we were gonna do 15, and then like some double booking got us to 16, and then just for selfish reasons i was just like no we're gonna do one more yeah. 17 tracks then we're <laughs> then we're done
1: i'm glad you got bye bye foot on there that's one of my favorite songs from the era
3: oh man and what, and what reed did with it is so cool yeah uh yeah i'm re- i'm really happy it ended up on there
1: I'm curious like as as we were talking through you know some of these songs that are expansive like The First Tube, The Piper um, The Sleep even and then some of these songs that are a little bit more kind of close to the chest but like reinterpreted in some way I think um, the way Tim Showalter did Bug it's kind of the perfect song for him to play but you know he was able to add his own touch to it. Listening to this reminded me in a lot of ways of like the Day of the Dead compilation that came out a few years ago where you have this reinterpretation of the Grateful Dead's music in a way that feels in line with the dead, but also you know, you have your drums and space on there that essentially gives you like a full reinterpretation of like the dead's improvisation. Did you use that compilation in any sort of way as as inspiration, or did you see this as kind of a kind of next step for reinterpreting Fish and kind of like pushing Fish out into the larger musical universe?
3: So, I'm a huge fan of Day of the Dead. I, I think it's it's awesome and, and has some and has some really great tracks on it. Uh, it's actually uh, mastered by the same. Uh, uh, mastering engineer, mm. Joe Lambert, who mastered Clusterflies, also mastered Day of the Dead. That's not why I uh, selected him, actually. I needed to pick a mastering engineer, and I told myself, the next time you're listening to a record, it's really like the way it sounds, look up who the, who the mastering engineer was. And I was listening to William Tyler's Gone West, oh, yeah. and I was like... I was like who mastered this? And I was like, Oh, Joe Lambert, who's that? And I looked it up and I was like, Oh, he did like Merryweather Post Pavilion by Animal Collective and Bitta Orca by Dirty Projectors and Eyes on the Lines by Steve yep. Gunn it was like on his homepage. I was like, these are all my favorite Click records of, of these <laughs> artists. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then I was like, Oh, and he did Day of the Dead, I'm calling this guy. <laughs> so uh, so Day of the Dead wasn't like wasn't really top of mind. I'm I'm a huge fan of that record so what happened around day of the dead i think is that it seemed to become a lot less taboo to cover the grateful dead And, and i think that was happening a little bit before day of the dead as well but like when it came out it was like oh like look at all these people that like know the grateful dead and like and aren't scared of being on a Grateful Dead compilation and aren't scared of being painted with that brush mm-hmm. and, like, not worried that their indie rock card is going to get pulled from them because they were on a Grateful Dead compilation. And in that way, I'm like really, really happy with the collection of artists that are on Clusterflies and, you know, that like the likes of. Pitchfork and, and stereo gum and Brooklyn Vegan and stuff were covering this record because while it certainly seemed like, you know, covering the grateful dead became less of a third rail of like selecting a song to cover yeah. There's a lot of that still with fish. Yeah. I, I I feel like there hasn't been a fish compilation record since Sharon in the Groove, right. which was twenty years ago and, and a very different kind of record. And even the jam bands that will like regularly cover the Talking Heads and The Velvet Underground and Pink Floyd and the Beatles and all this stuff, like I feel like there still is a lot of shying away from covering fish. And like again, like I'm I'm a believer, I really love fish's catalog. And and I think one of the most common unfair like misconceptions about a jam band is that they can't write songs oh, yeah. or that they can't make good records. And I hate that. Like I, I just like disagree with like my my whole self. Strange folk makes great records, and Percy Hill made great records, and Green Sky Bluegrass makes great records. Dude, and Color Fish of Blue? makes great. Yeah, like that was a classic. Our scene is filled with lots of great people that can make great improvisational music, but our scene is also filled with lots of great songwriters, yeah. and they're so often discounted that like, why did that jam band make a studio record? It's like. And it's like, man, fuck you. like, like... <laughs> But no, it's like, you know, I don't think Clusterflies is going to do any kind of dismantling of the taboo that is covering fish. But when I think of Day of the Dead, and I think of Clusterflies, I'm like, well, maybe now it'll be a little less of a thing if sure. your band decides to to, to cover fish. Um, Because I think it should be, you know, and their career has been long enough that it's okay to start covering them if you want to. Well, I think
2: recently, even some more mainstream music critics, you don't think of like a guy like Greg Coffin, the Chicago Tribune. I just saw he posted something. He's been doing um, on Amazon Prime, the Coda collection, a whole bunch of concert videos. One of the concert videos is Fish's uh, December 30, 2019 show. Mm. So I saw on Twitter, he just wrote like a very... Eloquent review of that show, paragraph by paragraph, thinking, like, okay, if this guy, you know, if he's putting it in this collection, he obviously has good things to say about Fish, and he's like comparing it to Brian Eno and whatnot. So, as time goes by, there's a band that's been around for, God, over 35 years at this point. And you have to figure, well, if they've put all together for that long, they're still making new music, they've got to be pretty good.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, and Fish is going to a Fish show, most nights you're going to hear a cover song. And you're gonna hear a really good right. interpretation of a cover song, and they're gonna do full albums, and they're gonna jam off of covers. And to your point, there hasn't been a Fish covers album since uh, Sharing in the Groove. It was like two or three years ago. Tim Showalter did one of the American or uh, Aquarium Drunkard. Yeah, he uh, did Dirt. I uh, did yeah. Dirt for that. Um, but to hear the this compilation and i think it kind of gets back to what we were saying at the start it almost makes farmhouse the most perfect record for it because these songs if you heard them in isolation and had no idea you were hearing a fish song there's a maturity to them there is a kind of world wariness to them that really appeals in the kind of indie rock circles that a lot of these artists tend to you know jump in and out of but to, to then know that it's fish it has that similar reaction to listening to a lot of day of the dead where you're like Oh my God! Like Bonnie Prince Billy playing this song, or uh, His Golden Messenger playing Brown Eyed Women, or the War on Drugs playing uh, Touch of Grey. You know, you you hear those songs suddenly in a new light, and you understand kind of the the lines between your favorite artists and a band that you may not have approached before. And I I, I hope it has you know that sort of appeal to to newer listeners. I think there's definitely room for that for Fish.
3: Yeah, there's, there is a timeless nature. Uh, when when Scotty was talking to Daniel Donato and he was asking, like, you know, why did you pick up back on the train? One of the things he highlighted was, you know, like, it, it sounds a lot like a Grateful Dead song and, like, like a Grateful Dead song that, like, is so timeless. He, like I think he, like, excited, like, the lyric. He was like, see my face in the town that's flashing by and it's like, what town? <laughs> like, what, what, what town are you talking about? Like, it could be, like, could be any town. You can just sort of... Put yourself in that image, you know. And a song like Driver, too. Like, if you had someone who was a fan of Vetiver and you played them that, They'd be like, oh, cool new Vetiver song. If they didn't know it was a song by Fish or had heard Driver by Fish, I'd be like, oh, that, that's a cool song. That's a yeah. cool, new, cool new Vetiver tune. Yeah, there's a lot of space on these songs to, to paint around. And, and yeah, just, I don't know. It's just a great collection of tunes. No no, no two ways about it. There was a lot of excitement from, from artists when we were reaching out to us. It, it, it felt like people had been wanting this phone call for, for a long time. I just like, had this great conversation with Daniel and he was so fired up to do it. It and like, I think I like DM'd Sadler on Twitter, asked him about it, and then like, he gave his email address and i emailed him and he like called me like 10 minutes later and he was just so fired up and mm. ready to do it I, th- I think a lot of these artists were just waiting for this call which has been which was great
1: well i think as well like beyond the songwriting we were talking about riley's performance of first tube i mean that was the song that i, I love riley's newest record is probably my favorite album of 2021 at this point in time and
3: i i agree and his and his best records, 100 yeah i, I think yeah, 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 yeah. like it is so good hearing
1: his performance of first tube kind of beyond just the songwriting there's a constant kind of scarlet letter about the jamming at at edifice show uh in in some cases you know from from an outside perspective but i saw riley it was one of the last concerts i saw before the pandemic he played an hour-long improvisational set we got a recording of it it was an amazing performance and hearing him kind of apply that type of jamming mindset to a song like first tube i think it just brings this like experimentation you know uh spotlight to what fish is really doing and, and him using that as a a launch pad i think he also did that with when he recorded the lily white sessions you know this kind of taboo yeah. dave matthews band fish 1990s yeah, granola man, hippie yeah. type of view like you, you you see this artist with with credibility in that in that world being able to reinterpret uh songs from the jam world from the 90s is, is a really cool thing
3: i saw him here in in boston him and and forsyth and garcia peoples uh did a did a triple bill at the at the great scott which was awesome and one, one of them was a was a after fish show that i did not go to because i went to bed uh instead and, and i'd seen the show a couple nights before in, in boston i was
2: there that was awesome that was the osiris sponsored right, yeah, right yeah electric yeah. in the village that was nuts that was totally crazy yep.
3: That was, the, that was the last show that Chris Forsyth had played before the pandemic shot everything down. And then the next time he, he gathered to play music was to record Piper. No way. Yep, He had not played music with anybody else until they got in the studio and, and laid oh, down Piper. Man.
1: Tell me, as kind of the mastermind behind this, what did you walk away from? with this did you walk away with a new appreciation for farmhouse for trey and Tom's songwriting like what what was it for you that you walked away from
3: i think i have a new appreciation for people that work at record labels and put out compilations <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs>
1: it doesn't just come together I, to <laughs>
3: I, uh, I, a friend that used to run a record label because this is um this is not our core business at Jambase. Base. We, sure. don't, we don't we don't make records, but I, I think we made a really good one with this one. Uh, I, I was telling a, a a friend of mine who used to run a label. He was like, the first record you're putting out is a triple vinyl compilation <laughs> of covers with 17 different artists. And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's like you just made five records. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I guess like. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it. <laughs> I mean, I already loved Farmhouse, like, so much. Um, I'm walking away from it with immense respect for the performances that everybody everybody turned in. You know, I think we did this right. Artists are, like, they own their own masters, um, and they just licensed the track to us. We paid all of our artists in advance on the record. We didn't ask them to just donate it to help, to help out Jambase. We asked them to do it to help out Jambase, but we paid them in an ava- an advance on the record and we, and we having them own their own masters. And I think that's one of the best decisions that we made in this whole thing because I think sort of armed with that, not saying that these artists wouldn't have done this anyway, but armed with budget and armed with knowing that they retain ownership of their master, people turned in such thoughtful pieces of art totally. like so many people that submitted their track submitted it and then 24 or 48 hours later were like oh uh, actually I want to change one more thing uh, I, I want to go back and do one more vocal or we wanted to change this mix and it was just like so great to see because everybody was taking it so seriously um hmm. so I, I'm like walking away so pleased that everyone turned in what they turned in, and I'm I'm certainly walking away knowing a bit more like record label terminology and, and stuff that that we didn't know before, and what a DSP is, and what most favored nations means on a record contract, and and things like that. So like learning the ins and outs of it um, has has been really interesting, and and maybe maybe something we can look to to replicate in the future at at jam bass now that we kind of know what we're doing maybe we'll wait until we actually press the record on vinyl and have it end up in people's mailboxes and stuff and then we can really say that we know what we're doing (laughs) but like we've always when we did songs of their own the video series like six years ago now we've had a slow drumbeat of people that are like you should put this on an album like why don't why do you guys release you should do it on an album and now like as we 're wrapping up as as much as I'm looking forward to having my headspace cleared up for things that are not clusterflies, like part of me is like all right, like we know what we're doing now, like what should we do next with sure, with this, sure, with this sure. thing it, it's been a lot of work, but it's been extremely fulfilling for, for me I'll, I'll i'll never forget working on it and, and I certainly have a uh, renewed um, appreciation for people that put albums in order. That was one thing I agonized over for a very long time sequencing Uh, is
1: hard huh
3: sequencing was really hard like cluster flies has existed in many many different orders on my hard drive and, and in my car and, and different things and like i had this like inner monologue battle with it where it's like all right like Dave, i think you're like overthinking this a little bit and then it was like well when else are you going to get to do this like what else are you going to get to like put something that is this good in in the best order it possibly can be but that was hard and like everyone one i called to try to ask for advice for it was extremely unhelpful <laughs> and they were always just they were they're always just like oh like i called reed mathis and i called Reed Janauer and i called like all these people that i know had like you know put records in in sequence before and they're like i don't know what to tell you man it's horrible
0: like, <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, i'm kidding they, they gave some they gave some some good advice
2: thing one last question i had is that looking at um the credits. I noticed the name
3: of Amar Sastry, our buddy out of yeah. Cyrus. How do you get involved? I just really I really wanted him on the record. Um, yeah, so the Vultures track was super cool, how it all came together. I knew I just wanted Amar to play on it. We had never met before. We got to meet the day of, uh, of the session. That was one of the two sessions I actually got to go... Uh, witness uh in person um and hang out I knew I wanted Amar on it and I just been a big fan of his I just think he's a great guitar player and also just a very funny and talented guy Mm -hmm. Um, and I called Tim Palmieri because I'd known him for a long time and I wanted Amar on it and I called Tim and I knew that Tim was also friends with my friend Eric DiBardino who I wanted on the record too and he plays the bass so I was calling Tim to see if he could round out drums and and keyboards for me. And I sort of thought the easiest thing Tim would have done would just be bring in some of his guys that he plays in in Kung Fu or The Breakfast. And he was like, well, I could do that. But I also, like, I've been wanting to do something with with Ben from Goose and Ryan from Twiddle. And I was like, oh, yeah, do, do that. And and as it worked out, just like they both were available and into it. And, it felt really good to connect amar with all those guys too because amar's such a talented guitar player but like i don't i don't think he's played a whole lot with with bands like them and sure. i know he was a big fan of tims too so amar sent me like the nicest note i've ever gotten from anyone mm-hmm. like the night that we all got back from the session he like he like drove like 5 hours to the session oh, i think wow. and like drove 5 hours back and like he sent me like the nicest thing you could ever send someone uh that night and we all had such a great time together. It was a really weird day too. It was January sixth. Mm, it was the day mm, that ever uh, people stormed Damn. the U.S. Capitol. So talk about a weird day to be recording the song Vultures. Yeah, right. Um, but it was also our friend Eric DiVerdino's birthday, and he brought us all this pizza, and uh, we, we we had a great day outside of like looking at our phones sure. uh, a little bit. But yeah, I just I just wanted Amar on the record, man. Like I, I I knew he was such a huge huge fan of fish and. and Such a great guitar player, and Vultures turned out great. It's got like a full guitar solo from Amar and Tim, and they both take a turn playing like that main guitar lick in Vultures. That one's that one's really good. When we debut that one, we also have a. By luck, I took out my like we did like six or seven takes of that. It was the, the last take was the one that we used, and it was the one that I took my phone. I, I was singing to, like to the scratch track because we were gonna have Reed A do the vocals. I was singing on on it, so we had something to to have Reed sing to. And I took my phone out uh, as soon as I was done singing on that track, and just recorded the entire jam on my phone. So the one video I have of the jam is the one that we used. Oh man! So we're gonna we're gonna release that when we release the track too. Cool. And it's like synced up with. Uh, with the master audio it's really it's really cool yeah yeah uh, amar is the man he is mars the man that he is the stuff that he can post to undermine is
2: i hear it in my dreams it's that good <laughs>
1: yeah. awesome
2: this has been great this dave awesome. this has been great chatting i feel like um cluster flies is fantastic it's been great getting this background i've really enjoyed this conversation
3: thoroughly
1: likewise Thank you so much for the insight to all this. This has been really, really enlightening for us, and it's really enjoyable to hear about the background.
3: Yeah, you got it. Thanks, guys.
4: What is a city without its music?
0: Hey, this is RJ, one of the executive producers of Undermine and the CEO of Osiris Media. The song I want to talk about is Twist by Brendan Bayliss. This, to me, is one of the most unique tracks on the album, mostly because you won't hear a rendition of this song anywhere else in the world, I don't think, besides this one, which is really cool. There's just really kind of a haunting vocals and guitar kind of swirled together. It's a beautiful rendition. If you know Brendan's voice, uh, his singing is great and and it really shines on this song, but there's a pedal steel in there that adds a layer that just makes it even more kind of otherworldly a little dreamy. I love this whole album and I love how all of the artists and the songs have been perfectly matched together, but I have to say this this version of Twist gets me every time. It's so unlike the way Fish plays it and uh, that that's one of the coolest things about it. Brendan's voice is awesome and the music behind it is just great. So, I'm loving it. I'm going to keep going back to it. And I also, I just want to give a shout out to our friend, Amar Sastry, who did all the theme music for Undermine and who's on another song on Clusterflies called Vultures. It's a super group, Tim Tim Palmieri, Amar, Ben from Goose members of twiddle tea leaf green and strange folk these guys just put together a really really amazing version of vultures the shredding in there between tim and amar is really notable so if you haven't checked that song out definitely go listen to it we're really happy to be part of this project and helping jambase get the word out so thanks for checking it out
6: spoken Now send it in several.
5: I'm Jonathan Hart, one of the co-hosts at Undermine, and I want to tell you about Chris Forsyth's stellar take on Piper. When Fish first introduced us to Piper, it quickly became a fan favorite as a vehicle for jams with a broad dynamic range that was fairly notable in the post-grunge arena rock world. The band, including Brent Cordero on Keys, Pete Curlin on bass, and Ryan Jewell on percussion and drums, lay down a steady pulse which evolves into a slow build that Fish fans will cite as the hallmark for any proper version of Piper. Forsyth stabs at his guitar as if testing the waters for the jam that is to come, and after nearly ten minutes, the familiar chord progression winds out of the Farfisa. Curlin's bass rolls right along, and the song begins to take form. The lyrics begin, a mantra pulsing along with a part of the music, really, and then they go for it. Chris cuts loose, laying down long leads, and the rest of the band begins expounding on the moment as well. Ryan Jewell delivers in a big way, supplementing his drive with terrific fills as they reach a frenzied peak before they release few final guitar notes and the fade out of Cordero's Farfisa. This is a sidelong excursion that, if I'd never heard of Fish, be easily convinced, came from one of Forsythe's own shows.
7: Hey, it's Brad, co-host of Undermine. I chose Sadler Vaden's cover of Heavy Things off of Clusterflies as my tune. First of all, I love Heavy Things. It's a a great song. I always enjoy whether it's an opener like it was for Halloween 2013, whether it was an encore uh, August 12, 2018. I'm always in for Heavy Things no matter when it comes. Second, I really dig Sadler's version. I think it does the song justice while putting his own rock twist on it. It's got a great kind of twangy indie garage rock guitar throughout the song nice layers the vocals are good it's a nice twist on what i think is one of fish's best attempts at a pop song i also chose Sadler because of course he was on hf pod i didn't get to end the interview with matt and jonathan but i really enjoyed that episode and i I was sad i missed it so i want to give him some love here with his Sadler vaden's cover of heavy thing from clusterflies
2: David Goldstein. I am currently the co host of the Undermine podcast. My favorite song from Clusterflies? Well, I will preface this by saying that I enjoy all the songs in Clusterflies. It's an extremely well put together tribute that was clearly a labor of love for all parties involved. But if forced to pick, I'm going to say my favorite song would probably have to be the version of Mountains in the Mist by Lindsay Liu. So prior to going into the Clusterfives compilation, I was familiar with almost every artist. Uh, The one I was not familiar with was Lindsay Lou. So I went to go put on Mountains of the Mist, and within 20 seconds of doing so, was completely floored. She converts it into a bluegrass ballad on pick banjo, and just the combination of her fantastic vocals and the banjo stylings, the banjo soloing halfway through. It's just a fantastic reinvention of a song that keeps the tenderness of the original while putting it into a different musical genre. And it's just very well done. And after listening to this, I immediately went to Bandcamp. I looked up Lindsay Liu, I found her most recent record, and I smashed the buy button. It was just great that I was able to be introduced to a new artist that I have instantly become a fan of through Clusterflies, and hopefully she gets to go out on tour in 2021 or 2022 because I would love to see her live. And I look forward to diving into the Lindsay Liu back catalog after hearing her fantastic version of Mountains in the Mist on Clusterflies. Several
8: times unconsciously I've stumbled
4: Noah Eckstein. I'm a writer for Undermind, and the song that has resonated with me the most off of Clusterflies is Sylvan Esso's cover of Farmhouse. Emily Meath's enchanted voice makes each word deeply intelligible, but also eerily relatable, as if she is speaking directly to me, to all of us. Her folktronica melodies with her partner and second half of Sylvan Esso, Nick Sanborn, follow me throughout my day. When thinking about the restrictions of our current world, I hear Sylvan Esso sing, In the farmhouse things will be alright, and in turn, things feel alright. Also becoming entranced by this song over and over again has inspired me to research what cluster flies actually are. Are they just those pesky houseflies? No. Actually, they are different from the common housefly, but look the same, and usually show up in August and September. In case you're interested, they're parasitic on earthworms, and if you type in clusterflies to Google, the first thing that shows up is how to get rid of them. So we are so very sorry. There is little we can do but swat them.
2: I never ever saw the northern lights. I never really heard a clusterflies. I never ever saw the stars so bright.
6: Hey, this is Matt from the Undermine team. I want to talk to you about the track Dog Stole Things, which is performed by Neil Francis on Clusterflies. This was, of course, not a track on the original Farmhouse album, but was written around the time many of these tracks came into the fish lexicon, starting with the story of the Ghost album and then continuing through Farmhouse's release in the year 2000. I came to discover Neil Francis during the pandemic, and his 2019 album Changes was in heavy rotation as I threw private dance parties for myself and my family during our time at home. Neil's New Orleans and Muscle Shoals influence comes through strong on this track as he transforms the typically bluesy, dog-stole things into a funk romp that would find a home in any funk DJ set. Neil records on an 8-track tape machine, resulting in a refreshingly lo-fi experience here, putting the emphasis on his amazing keyboard and vocal performance. Many times, reimaginations of Fish songs don't really do it for me, because the intent of the original is lost. But this is a track I'm going to be spinning for years to come, when it's time to dance around the house, the late-night hang, the campsite at a festival, or in a loud, sweaty club. Thanks, Neil.
1: Hey everyone, this is Brian, one of the producers and co-hosts of Undermine. Wanted to talk to you about the Strand of Oaks track, Bug, off of the Clusterflies collection. Strand of Oaks is one of my favorite bands. Singer-songwriter Tim Showalter has been one of my favorite artists over the last decade. First discovered them through the album Heal, the song Shut In, as well as J.M., dedicated to one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Jason Molina. Pulled me in immediately with its Midwestern Americana, just bigness, full emotional lyricism, great storytelling. Gotten to know Tim over the last couple of years. He's a really fantastic guy, and he fits the thematic energy of a song like Bug, one of my favorite fish songs off a Farmhouse and really of any era. I first heard Bug at my second fifth show, July 18th, 2003, came out of a fantastic Down with Disease and a Catapult. The lyrics, the searching, wandering, yearning aspect of the lyrics really got to me. It's been a song that's stuck with me ever since. And Strand of Oaks, in a way that only they can, builds upon the yearning themes searching the wandering the hopefulness of bug into a delicate beautiful really intimate performance of one of tom marshall and train best songs and then in the last three minutes allow the song to unfold into a beautiful atmospheric jam that fits the song so well but like so many excellent songs on the clusterflies collection expands upon the larger themes of fish and adds to our initial thoughts of what fish could possibly be. I'm really excited for all of you to hear the entire Clusterflies collection. This has been so much fun for us here at Undermine to explore this. Excited for you all to hear it. Go out and buy it May 3rd. Clusterflies from Jambase. Fantastic stuff. Let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of Bug.
2: There have been times when I want
6: When I don't,
3: concepts I'll find, it. concepts I won't.
8: Tom Marshall here to talk about a particular selection from the new Clusterflies Fish Song Compilation by Jambase. First, I need to say what a great collection of musicians and fantastic selection of songs this is. It's quite a project putting something like this together, and this one succeeds on many levels. Mainly because these beautiful renditions of this music are new and interesting takes. And I also have to say as co-writer of many of these songs, it's always an honor when someone covers your music. But in this case especially, having so many amazing diverse musicians and their tracks back-to-back, it's kind of overwhelming. I chose the song Dirt as performed by my friend, Jen Hartswick. Jen has sung more of my words live on stage than any other woman. Imagine having someone with a voice and talent like Jen's performing your songs. So, I'm forever indebted to her already for that, and now she's done it again with one of my favorite songs. So, this rendition features Jen singing a beautiful version of the song Dirt, complete with sublime harmonies and textures, as only Jen can sing. Followed by a rocking guitar led jam, who is that guitarist? Which culminates in a beautiful conclusion where I think, I'm almost certain, I hear Jen's trumpet, but it's fully sending us home. Make sure you check out Dirt by Jen Hartswick on Clusterflies by Jam Bass.
6: Oh Bowie, Dylan, Marley.